This coverage is live and uncensored. So if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 303, broadcasting live Thursday, July 23rd, 2015. I'm your host, Rich, and our caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, that caller number, 347-324-3541. All right, so a couple of things this week. Obviously, we started a little later due to us testing out an alternate stream um, our friends at GFQ, uh, Andrew's on vacation, and um, because of that, I figured it'd be a great time to test out um, a brand new video stream that we are running via StreamUp. We are using also Restream just to see if we can simulcast in a couple of other locations. I even think the show is airing on our Twitch channel. So with that said, um, make sure to go to mtrlive.com and go there to get the stream and the chat room that way you can interact with the show while it's in progress i'm not gonna have 17 tabs open to all the different streaming sites to interact in the chat room unfortunately that's just not the move but if you do want to interact head over to mtrlive.com we have the video chat there we have the um full video stream plus we have high quality audio running via mixler in addition to that, you can listen via our call-in number. Just don't hit option one, and you'll be able to listen that way. And, of course, archived episodes are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. If this is your first time tuning in, My Take Radio is a variety show where I give my take on the worlds of MMA, pro wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. We air two shows a week. Uh, Wednesday nights usually is our MMA and wrestling show, and Thursdays is our gaming and entertainment show. Um, unfortunately, we had to make some adjustments this week um, because we were covering an event for Plantronics yesterday. So we are doing the MMA and wrestling show today strictly because there was a lot of stuff that went on both on the MMA side and the wrestling side. So I figured we would shift things around a bit. But next week, we will be back to a regular broadcasting schedule and we'll be running it via, obviously, our normal channels. But... I may reach out to Andrew when he gets back, and we're going to start testing out just alternate uh, video offerings to ensure that we have uh, different stuff going on. So there you have it. Uh, one thing I do have to remind everyone, as always, is that with the shows, we try to make sure that we keep a consistent schedule with MMA and Wrestling Wednesdays and Gaming and Entertainment Thursdays, but times and, and things do shift around, so next week... We'll be doing our regular broadcasting schedule, 
But the first week of August, I will actually be taking a much-needed vacation. So I will not be doing shows that Thursday. Uh, There may be one that Wednesday, depending on how we prepare for the trip. But I have my doubts thus far. But we're working on doing some other stuff during that time. So there will be plenty of content to keep you guys happy while I am out of town. Uh, While that's happening, of course, the rest of the MTR and Rageworks team will be handling all the content and everything else in my absence. So, of course, be on the lookout for stuff from all those guys. I know that our very own Quark has a brand new episode of The Buried Show, which once he gets it over to me, we'll be putting that up. Also, I know that Ben did a brand new Black is the New Black. And while we are on the subject of that, we are going to get a new show added to the Rageworks Network. Uh, courtesy of our very own Jay Santi, him and the Keefe are going to get together and bring you guys a sports show. Uh, that's going to be available, obviously, on RageWorks.net and also via our standard iTunes feed. I am working on creating individual feeds for each show. Uh, you guys are going to have to bear with me while I try and get that set up, only because you know I got to get each feed set up and iTunes and all the. You guys know the deal. So the intent is within, I'd like to say, the next 90 days. Um, Black is the New Black, The Buried Show, uh, Jay's Sports Show are all going to have individual feeds that you'll be able to subscribe to via your favorite podcast service. But all episodes will continue to be released on the standard, uh, all-inclusive Rageworks feed Um Probably within those same uh, that same period of time, the um, My Take Radio feed will be changing over to the RageWorks Network feed, and obviously all the shows will be there. So you're going to have My Take Radio, The Buried Show. Um, you're also going to have Black is the New Black and Jay's Sports Show. Uh, we are working on having a couple of other bits of content thrown together, so be on the lookout for that. We also got a new addition to the RageWorks team. Uh, my buddy James Blackstone, uh, Jimbo Slice on Instagram, is um, helping me out with some of the photography and video work. Uh, he assisted me during yesterday's Plantronics event. So if you guys were seeing some of the stuff on Instagram, we were doing a lot of that stuff in tandem just because there's more equipment. Uh, definitely he has a good eye for photography, so you're going to be seeing stuff from him in the audio and video space in the near future. In addition to that, um, we're definitely going to work on some other stuff on the site. We are going to test out a new chat room component uh, within the next 60 days. I actually reached out to a company that specializes in different types of chats, uh, different types of chat software, and we're going to be testing that out only because while I'm a big fan of the, the GFQ chat, I know a lot of guys have issues. I mean, IRC is is pretty self-explanatory, but I've had a fair amount of people reach out and express frustration in just trying to get a handle on it. Um, some people want to have social media logins via Twitter or Facebook. Others want to have their own usernames. Others want to share videos in the feed, etc., etc., etc. So um, we are exploring that, and we're going to try and have that fully functional within the next... I want to say, uh, I mean, we gave 90 days for everything, but within the next 60 days, um, we are going to be doing some new guests in the coming weeks. I know I've been uh, talking to Lucha Lee 
uh, Mortis about some guests, and we also got a couple of other guests on the horizon, which we're going to start focusing on more, more, most likely in September, only because um, we got so much going on during the summer that you know things will slow down in September, October, and we'll be able to get all the uh, the usual summer minutia out of the way and jump right into the fall gaming season. Uh, yes, Brian, Brian Monroe, uh, regular from GFQ and starting to become a regular here for MTR. Uh, yes, we are using Slack. It is a great service. Thank you for sharing it. Slack is super awesome. Um, uh, it's almost a, a crazy endorsement, but if you are uh, a site or a podcast or a blog that has a, a team and wants to ensure constant communication between everyone, then definitely check out Slack. Uh, Slack is badass. Um, Slick, of course, reminded me of that no one in the team uses it, and it's true. Um, this is something that requires uh, a lot of reprogramming, and I'm actually glad he mentioned it, and I want to mention that on air because, you know, many of us do the typical, um, you know, we do the typical conference call on Skype or Facebook message or long-winded emails, and, I, and you know, I'm trying to move away from that. I know everyone's busy, so the Slack app, is available on mobile and desktop, and it's pretty pretty self-explanatory. Like I said, you'll be able to communicate with your team effectively. I'm trying to use it more, trying to change the culture of how things run on My Take Radio and Rageworks. Uh, we're getting there. It definitely takes some time, but I'm glad Slick brought it up because it's true. Uh, you guys, uh, any of the other staff aside from Slick that are listening, get on Slack and start using that shit. That's all I got to say. Anyway, Aside from that, um, we're going to revisit the Patreon, like I've said in previous shows, just trying to get better video, better audio, better equipment, uh, better stuff to give away, which I have some stuff in the MTR prize closet. We got some Halo figures from Lego. We got some giant Masters of the Universe figures that we're going to give away. We got uh, possibly some Skylanders and some Pops, so we're definitely going to get on the ball uh, within the next coming days, within the next few days, giving out some of that stuff. I noticed that there's a lot of ums and pauses in this episode that I'm going to have to edit. Uh, that's a little bit of self-awareness on my part. Anyway, so be on the lookout. We got some new stuff, some new prizes heading your way, uh, courtesy of My Take Radio and Rageworks. We got something really, really awesome in the works with our friends at Entertainment Earth. If you are a fan of Guardians of the Galaxy, you guys are going to lose your mind with what Entertainment Earth is giving us to give away. If you guys remember, we did the pop reaction Terminator figure, and um, if you guys thought that giveaway was crazy on Instagram, wait till you see what we are going to do with Entertainment Earth and Guardians of the Galaxy. You guys are going to lose your shit. Uh, Let's just say that this particular item that we're giving away has a a retail value of over 100 bucks. So we're definitely going to make you guys work a little bit for this particular contest, not too much, but just enough. And this is going to be the beginning of um, just more giveaways. Like I said, we got toys on the horizon. We've given away some cell phones. We might have another cell phone to give away in the coming weeks and tons of other stuff. So definitely uh, continue to support, continue to follow us on social, and we will try to give you guys the best stuff possible. Anyway, let me uh, stop beating around the bush. Let's get into tonight's topics. On the MMA side, we're going to talk about the two UFC Fight Night cards. 
We're going to talk about UFC's firing of Stitch Duran. We're also going to talk about the Real Sports Brian Gumble uh, video footage that was floating around with Christy Mack uh, discussing her incident with War Machine. That was just super crazy. I want to get into that and some of the other MMA news as well. As always, if you want to participate, 347-324-3541 is the number. 347-324-3541 is the number. As always, hit option one. Slick will cue you up, and you'll be ready to rock and roll if you want to contribute to the show. On the wrestling side of things, we are going to talk about WWE Battleground, the continued NXT Divas Revolution. We're going to get into some of the wrestling news of the week, and as always, we will take your calls. All right, so let's get this ball rolling and let's jump into some MMA, shall we? All right, so I want to start with UFC Fight Night 71, uh, the main event was Frank Mir taking on Todd Duffy. That actual that fight actually happened while we were doing the show last week, so I actually got to see the card, and I want to just kind of give a brief synopsis on the card and some opinions overall only because it happened on a Wednesday, and you guys know the deal, so you don't need any detailed analysis. Anyway, overall, I felt that the card was a surprisingly solid card with some good finishes, especially on a Wednesday night. Um, like I said, the main event, Frank Mir, Todd Duffy delivered. Um, I really enjoyed that fight. I also enjoyed the uh, Kanahara Ronnie Yaya fight, which actually ended via split decision. I actually thought that fight was going to go the distance and we were going to get something incredibly violent. Unfortunately, we got a pretty decent fight, good showing from both guys, but um, Ronnie Yaya took the fight via split decision. Uh, the ladies also took center stage. Jessica Andrade took on Sarah Morris in a solid fight. I know a lot of guys have been reaching out to me and talking about the fact that a lot of the uh, women's MMA fights end in decisions with very, very few finishes, unless it's Ronda Rousey or Cyborg. Um, I got to, I got to say that's not always the case. You guys got to watch Invicta, some of the other promotions, and you'll see that the ladies can definitely step up and deliver with knockout power in a multitude of angles, whether it's knees, strikes, on the ground, on the feet, there's always an opportunity for a highlight reel knockout from the ladies, especially on the Invicta side of things. Usually a lot of their cards end with a ton of finishes, uh, both from the striking and submission variety. So even though that, that's been the trend on the UFC side of things, I'm sure it's going to change as the level of training and the level of technique changes and the divisions start to really get fleshed out with competition, you're going to start seeing more knockout specialists, more submission specialists in, in on the horizon. I mean, we see it with Ronda. We see it with Chris Cyborg. Uh, you know, we saw it with Gina Carano, uh, Marluz Kunin. There, there's a lot of women that, that definitely have a combination of both knockout and submission, uh, you know, credibility, but also are finishers in almost the majority of their fights. So, I think that's going to be something that's going to be evolving over the next couple of years as women's MMA becomes more aggressive. But again, you guys got to just just bear with it a little bit. I mean, sometimes you can take the unanimous decision, but if the fight is good, you guys you guys know the deal. I shouldn't have to tell you. Anyway, the other fight I wanted to talk about from Fight Night 71 
which was ridiculous, was the Manny Gambirian-Scott Jorgensen fight. It feels like I haven't seen Manny Gambirian fight in ages, and Scott Jorgensen always delivers a phenomenal performance. Uh, Manville, you know, that's uh, Manny Gambirian's full name. Manville the Anvil took uh, the fight via unanimous decision. I actually enjoyed this fight. I found it very exciting, well-paced, great exchanges between both guys. Like I said, Scott Jorgensen is incredibly exciting to watch, knows how to deliver in the cage every time he goes out there. Even though he was on the losing end in this fight, I definitely feel he had a solid, solid performance. Now, the other fight on this card is a fight that a lot of people were keeping a very, very close eye on, and it's because it affects... Uh, the bantamweight women's division, and that is Holly Holm taking on Marion Renault. Now, for those of you that don't know, uh, Holly Holm came into the UFC with much fanfare. She has very, very great, very, very solid boxing. I, I'd almost go as far as to say great boxing uh, from a female mixed martial artist, and she has great knockout power. Most of her victories have come via knockout. So people have been watching her resurgence in the UFC very, very closely. Primarily because you're looking at a fighter who came in undefeated, has knockout power, and is essentially on a collision course with Ronda Rousey. Anybody who who follows women's MMA knows that Holly Holm definitely is a candidate to challenge Ronda Rousey next. And I'd even go as far as saying that she'll probably prove to be a very, very tough challenge on the feet given her stand-up credentials. But in any case, she took on Marion Renault, who is no slouch either. And um, unfortunately, we did not get our patented Holly Holm knockout finish in this situation. Instead, we ended up getting a unanimous decision. Um, it It was a solid fight. I definitely felt that Holly Holm was the aggressor pretty much the entire time, really, really doing a lot of great stand-up work. I don't know why one of the judges gave... Uh, one of the one of the scores, 29-28, when the bulk of the fight was pretty much Holly Holm pushing the pace and maintaining a steady, steady flow of strikes during that exchange. But she ended up the victor nonetheless. I'm sure that more people are going to start talking about her squaring off with Ronda Rousey sooner rather than later. Now, the other fight, the co-main, was Josh Thompson and Tony Ferguson, which I knew was going to be a solid, solid fight. Uh, very action-packed from start to finish. I know that Josh Thompson usually goes out there and is incredibly exciting, but Ferguson was more the was definitely more the aggressor in this instance. He was bringing uh, a bevy of different strikes, a lot of good technique, uh, working the body kick, especially in round three. I I really enjoyed it for a co-main event, and I felt that for an MMA card on a Wednesday, it definitely delivered the goods. Now, let's get into the main event. Everybody was watching this fight because Todd Duffy, of course, came back into the UFC after dealing with some issues and some injuries. And people have been watching this guy very closely because people felt that he had all the potential and all the tools to be a big star in the organization, perhaps even your next Brock Lesnar. Now, I never, I never viewed him in that light. I always felt that Todd Duffy was an incredible, was an incredible athlete and a great specimen at heavyweight, and just he had that look, that marketable look. But I just always felt that you, the performance you were going to get from him was either going to be really good or really bad. And of course, that's actually how it turned out to be. 
in this instance because he faced a veteran in Frank Mir. Frank Mir is another guy who is exciting to watch but has moments where he, uh, you know, the, uh, the real Frank Mir shows up. And that's what happens. I mean, some of his fights, he shows up and he just delivers amazing striking. Other times, he just delivers an amazing ground game. I mean, him breaking Noguera's arm not that long ago was just insane. So when Frank Mir came into the weigh-ins and he stood there alongside Todd Duffy, who, mind you, Frank Mir outweighed by roughly 20 pounds when it was all said and done. The, the maximum weight at heavyweight is 265. Frank Mir was 262, and Duffy was fighting at 241. So again, and that's not even counting hydration, so I'm sure Frank Mir was in there well past 265, and it showed, and he moved with um, great ease, very, very crisp striking, and it was crazy because when the fight started, Mir came in working the southpaw stance, uh, used the counter, he threw a, a counter uh, left for, uh, with the left, and the thing that got me was that Duffy was trying to definitely uh, work the work the distance game and then try to possibly get the big shot in for the victory. But what ended up happening was that you know Duffy landed a left, which kind of made Frank Mir back off a bit. But what ended up happening was when Duffy switched to southpaw stance and started landing some strikes, Mir dropped him with a monster left that pretty much knocked. Todd Duffy out cold. It was straight murder, death, kill. Like I saw it, I was just like, "Oh my god!" Because it was it was a Street Fighter style knockout. If you guys have played Street Fighter, you guys know when you hit somebody with like a dragon punch or a powerful move, and it's just like, uh, and they just fall over dead. That's pretty much what happened to Todd Duffy, which was unfortunate. I mean, again, I thought the fight was gonna go at least two rounds. Both guys got heavy hands, so you knew a knockout was imminent, but I didn't think it was going to be that vicious and that quick. Uh, definitely a great showing by Frank Mir, and I'm curious to see what where this puts Frank Mir in the rankings now. What type of an opponent will you give him? Because this is the thing. You look at Frank Mir, you see a guy that former UFC heavyweight champion, uh, a guy who is a bona fide Hall of Famer and you know has had some solid performances after defeating a, a, such a prospect like Todd Duffy, I mean, what do you do? Do you give him, you know, Roy Nelson, or maybe you give him Bigfoot Silva, or maybe a, you know, on, on, you know, somebody a, a top five opponent? It depends because again, much like I've talked about with the light heavyweight division, the heavyweight division is you know the top three guys and everyone else. No disrespect to Frank Mir, but that's pretty much where we're at. If you think about it, it's, you know, Kane JDS and Verdum at this point. And you can interchange those three guys, and it wouldn't hurt anyone. Now, of course, with the rumblings of Fedor possibly debuting in the UFC, I think a, a good entry fight for, for The Last Emperor would be him and Frank Mir. I think him and Frank Mir would be an amazing fight. Uh, both guys have good stand-up. Both guys have great ground game. I think it would definitely get people's attention and definitely get people invested in Fedor if he jumped into the UFC. I mean, a lot of people feel that at this age, Fedor could probably make a good run at 205 and fight at light heavyweight, but Fedor's always been a guy that's always been undersized in the heavyweight division, and it did not affect his performance in the least. So I'm curious to see how far they take it, and if he does indeed sign with the UFC, I do feel Frank Mir would be a great opponent for his debut. 
All right, so let's switch gears and jump into UFC Fight Night 72, which was actually taking place in the middle of the day, I believe. I ended up watching the fight on, on tape delay, and I, I'm not going to lie, I skipped through the bulk of the fights, even though there were a lot of great finishes. Um, the main event, of course, Mike Bisping, Talis Latis, which um, truly, truly solid fight. The, the thing that gets me is that, again, Michael Bisping is a guy that's always talked about as being the face of an organization, uh, the guy that's always in line for a title opportunity, and it's always hit or miss performances with him, but nonetheless, he looked really good in there with Talis Latis. Also, I got to acknowledge the performance from Joanne Calderwood, who fought Courtney Casey on short notice. Of course, Courtney Casey was substituting for Beck Rawlings, at the time, who had to pull out of the fight with an injury. But uh, Joanne Calderwood definitely is a fighter you should be watching very, very closely. Um, she is incredibly talented, has a marketable look, and has tremendous, tremendous striking. Uh, that's one thing that we got to see in The Ultimate Fighter, and she definitely showcased it in this fight as well. Uh, the other fight that kind of I was a little hit or miss about was Evan Dunham and Ross Pearson. I mean, it was a decent fight, but it kind of felt, it kind of dragged on, especially towards the third round. A lot of circling. I mean, there there definitely was action in the fight, but I don't know. I think maybe just because I haven't seen Ross Pearson fight in quite some time. I don't know if I felt as invested. Plus, at the time that I watched the card, I wasn't fully, fully awake to enjoy it. But um, I did wake up for the Bisping Talis latest fight, which was very, very good. Um, Bisping secured the victory via split decision. Um, again, solid striking from Bisping as usual. He looked pretty good, um, especially in the later rounds. I, I do feel that latest definitely stepped it up in the third, started showing some aggression, started showing uh, uh, some different technique. Um, but he was he was definitely winded, breathing heavy in that third round. So I really thought that um, you know Bisping was going to go for the finish. Unfortunately. Um, we got a split decision instead. Nonetheless, card was pretty solid. I didn't hate either card. Um, I did enjoy them. And even though the, the Bisping card I watched mostly on Fast Forward, the fights that I watched in their entirety were definitely enjoyable. Of course, this weekend, we got TJ Dillashaw, Henan Burrow, UFC on Fox. Title fight. It's going to be great. Both guys are going to go in there and definitely have a war because that's what they're known for. I mean, their last fight, TJ Dillashaw looked amazing. And, um, you know, Henan Burrell, we'll see which Henan Burrell shows up because he's another one of those guys. He has weight-cutting issues and a litany of other problems. So it's going to be a fight that I'm, I'm excited to see, but it can all change like this if Henan Burrell does not make weight tomorrow during the weigh-ins. Uh, we're going to definitely try and get a stream of the weigh-ins for you guys to watch on RageWorks.net. Of course, keep it locked to any of our social media channels so you guys can watch the weigh-ins once I get the time and I get the stream. I will post it on the site. All right, so let me jump into the other MMA news of the week. Uh, first, the big news going around the octagon is Jacob Stitch Duran. Those of you that have been watching the UFC, as long as I have, uh, may recognize Stitch. Uh, he's a, a Spanish guy. He usually has a vest with all the different sponsors, and he usually wears glasses, has his hair slicked back, and he's usually the primary cut man at almost every UFC event. 
This is a guy, he's either at the prep point or he's working all the cuts, but he is a guy that is a staple in every event, is a, a, a tremendous ambassador of the sport, an all-around awesome human being. Every every podcast I've heard him on, every interview he's done, he's always humble, he's always gracious, but most importantly, he has always been honest with his views of the sport. So what ended up happening was, if you guys remember when Ben and I were talking about the uh, Conor McGregor Chad Mendes fight, we were talking about the Cutmen and their very, very drab attire. Um, if you guys know, ever since the UFC and Reebok formed their partnership, it has pretty much changed the entire landscape of the organization, especially when it comes to fighter attire. One piece that I did not think was going to be affected were the Cutmen, only because the Cutmen are individuals that are seldom seen, but that, you know, are, 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 are crucial. These are the guys that can allow a fighter to fight past the point where a doctor can stop a fight due to a cut or an injury. A good cut man will take what looks like an axe wound on your head and turn it into a paper cut. And that's something that Stitch was incredibly good at. Uh, guys that would go in there with just, just these nasty gashes that would probably stop a fight in most instances depending on what doctor was working the corner, uh, a good cut man will, will keep you in the fight. And that's something that, you know, Stitch did on the regular. So what ended up happening was after we, Ben and I discussed the, um, you know, the attire for everybody outside of the fighters, like I said, with the UFC Reebok deal, the corner men have to wear Reebok attire and uh, the cut men, I guess, now were relegated to wearing Reebok attire. And because of that, uh, the strange thing was that guys like Stitch and some of the other cut men, you know, they had other deals with other sponsors to get their logo seen. And it was it was nothing big, you know, like they weren't wearing giant uh, things. But in Stitch's case, he had his little vest with all the different patches uh, from different uh, sponsorship companies, different organizations that would toss the cut men some money. To, to get some placement. I mean, it wasn't anything like, you know, Condom Depot or anything terrible. It was, you know, small, small companies or decent sized companies that were recognized that wanted to get their name out there. So what ended up happening was he, um, he made some commentary about it. He said that the Cutman gear is pretty generic. The vests were generic and, um, people weren't, you know, they were talking about, it and they were like, wow, this is crazy. So he elaborated on the vest a little bit, and he said in an interview that with uh, MMA Junkie that going way back, it goes back to when I was starting with Tap Out. Tap Out was literally the one that created the vest profile. And, you know, he's had different patches on there, one more round, bad boy, and um, he said it, you know, this was a part of his identity, who he was, and he felt naked with just the vest. So what ended up happening was that he was, he got a call from the UFC and they pretty much said that they, you know, they had they weren't going to require his services. And it's funny because during that same interview, he said um, that he wasn't just speaking up for himself, but he was speaking up for all the other cut men and being the leader, so to speak. You know, he had he pretty much had to take the fall to protect everyone else, which is unfortunate. He said, you know, we weren't in the equation when it came to sponsorships. And it's true. The sponsorships were for the fighters and for the guys that work their corner, no, in, in none of the literature or any of the commentary or any of the press conferences I saw, 
regarding the Reebok deal did I ever hear that it would affect uh, the Cutmen. And sure enough, that's exactly what ended up happening. It was, um, you know, the Cutmen had to wear regular clothes. And he said it. He personally depended on a lot of his sponsors to make it work. You know, he said he, you know, with the Reebok deal, he lost a lot financially. And when he tr- was tried to speak up for all the Cutmen, you know, he, he ended up being the guy that was made an example of. He said, I didn't do anything wrong. I stated my opinion. And, um, you know, we as cut men should be compensated for wearing Reebok. How can you wear Reebok and not get paid? To me, that's just right, plain and simple. I, I, I cannot disagree with him because you got to remember, if these guys are out there and they're keeping your fighters in, you know, they're keeping your fighters involved, they're keeping your fighters in the trenches, and you want them to wear the Reebok stuff, then you got to tell Reebok, hey, we got to take care of the cut guys because, you know, they got their deals, they got their stuff. I'm sure Reebok would have paid them, you know, two, $3,000 per, per appearance depending on which cut, man was, what, which cut man was working the card that night. But that's the problem, too. It's like now that the UFC has implemented this policy, it's essentially no different than you going to work and being told that there's a dress code. Now, obviously, and and numerous times this has been brought up, the independent contractor argument. Now, while I do understand that if the bulk of your time is spent representing an organization, you know that the organization has some clout. You did sign a contract. That's how the shit works. And, you know, I respect Stitch's approach because he wasn't upset. I mean, he he was, but he he took it in stride. He was like, you know, I would have liked for at least if I was going to get fired, for Dana White to fire me because he's the guy that hired me, which I, I respect that. You know, that's 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 the right way to do things. In addition, he made a valid point. He goes, if I spoke up about it and they were that upset, they could have just pulled me to the side and been like, dude, you can't be doing that. And that would have been it. But unfortunately, they had to make an example. And I definitely noticed that a lot of fighters have spoken up about, you know, being a cut man. I mean, um being part of the Reebok deal and not being happy with it. But the fighters, obviously, you need those guys. Like the cut men, while I understand that there's plenty of cut men out there, I figured, and I'm sure I'm correct in the assumption, that they wanted to make an example. And Stitch was that was the guy. He was the guy who pretty much was the head, you know, was the head that Vlad Dracula put outside of his house to warn his enemies. The UFC pretty much applied the same thing. Hey, this guy's being made an example of. Don't talk shit or you could get the boot too. And while it is unfortunate, I have a feeling that uh, Stitch won't be the only guy that this is going to happen to going forward. But we'll see how it pans out. I wish Stitch the best. I heard that he's going to be working the RFA event. Um, If social media is to be believed at this point, which if it is, that's awesome. I know somebody retweeted it and sent it to me and they were like oh man you know stitch got another gig that's great i wish him luck like i said he's a he's a great cut man um a legend in this sport and you know a guy that definitely should have been treated just a smidge better considering how well he how good he was for the organization as a whole of course if we find out more and we get any other sound bites we'll definitely keep you guys up to date um i'm gonna see if maybe i can reach out secure an interview with him we'll see what the deal is if we do get one i'll make sure to keep you guys posted all right so 
Another bit of UFC news I wanted to share with you guys. If you guys remember, Nick Diaz got popped for uh, DUI not that long ago, but it looks like he's finally going to uh, face justice, so to speak, after taking a deal for his two DUI cases. Um, You know, he got one DUI in Lodi last September, um, a year after he was arrested in the same for the same crime in the same city. Uh, pretty much, he was facing significant jail time if he was convicted. He ended up pleading uh, no contest to a DUI with point eight or higher, and as a result, the other three charges were thrown out. Now, because of that, including the second DUI, he was sentenced to two days in jail with credit for one day served. He'll also have three years of informal probation and has to finish a DUI education course. He will surrender later this month after his next hearing to fulfill his one day in jail. So there you have it. Nick Diaz has to serve one day in jail. As for his UFC future and when he's fighting next, I have no clue when it's going to go down. But once I hear something, of course, you know you're going to hear it from me as soon as I get the info. The other, the other news item, and this was, I was disheartened about this, but unfortunately for those of us here in New York State, we will not have mixed martial arts in our state for the foreseeable future after the bill to legalize MMA came up short once again. Now, the crazy thing was that during the UFC Fan Expo, Dana White said that if they would have been able to secure MMA here in New York, that the main event would have been Chris Weidman versus John Jones uh, to see who was the quote-unquote king of New York. Uh, That would have been a crazy fight. I would have loved to have seen that. Um, You know, Chris Weidman going up to 205 to face John Jones would have been insane. I think it would have been a super fight that would have got everyone, everybody in New York State involved. It would have been crazy. But unfortunately, New York politics strikes once again, and we are denied from having MMA in our state. Of course, we got to wait for the next uh, legislation hearings to come through and for MMA to be back on the table. But I have a feeling that the only way that we're going to make MMA happen here in our state is by shelling out a ton of money. I know that that the UFC has been lobbying quite a bit, but I have a feeling that besides the issues with the culinary union, I think the other issue is the fact that just... The right people's palms are not getting greased. Got to keep it real. That's that's pretty much what it's all about. But unfortunately, no MMA for the time being. And because of that, we were deprived of seeing Chris Weidman square off against John Jones. There you have it. All right. So while we are on the subject of John Jones and the light heavyweight division, it was reported that Alexander Gustafson will be facing Daniel Cormier in October Uh, That's going to be UFC 192, October 3rd at the Toyota Center in Houston, Texas. Uh, Also on that card is Rashad Evans and Ryan Bader. Of course, everybody remembers Ryan Bader was kind of angling for a fight with Daniel Cormier. And of course, the opportunity went to Alexander Gustafson. I'm curious to see if Darth Bader gets past uh, Sugar Rashad Evans, if he will be the next one to challenge Daniel Cormier for the belt. I guess we won't have long to wait. As I said, UFC 192 goes down October 2nd. All right, so last bit of news, and this is purely a rumor at this time. Uh, Yahoo Sports reported that the MGM Grand Garden Arena 
was booked for an Andrea Bocelli concert on December 5th, which was the proposed date for UFC 194, which is also obviously the target uh, event for Jose Aldo and Conor McGregor. Uh, They did want to move the fight over to the Mandalay Bay, but unfortunately that's a smaller venue that seats less than 12,000. Recently, of course, the UFC had a record 16,000 at the MGM Grand for UFC 189. So the rumor is that the UFC is looking outside of Vegas to promote this fight, and all signs are pointing to the possibility of this fight going down at the AT&T Stadium in Dallas. That stadium can hold 100,000 people and previously held two boxing events there, which drew an average of 45,000 fans. Of course, the UFC has not confirmed that at this time, but there's definitely a lot of rumor floating around that Aldo and McGregor may square off at AT AT&T Stadium. If that does happen... It is going to be very interesting to see if they can break uh, the 45,000 mark that numerous boxing events have bro- have you know have set thus far. Um, especially with Conor McGregor, I mean, you know, the Irish contingent is huge. Um, who knows if they'll get close to that? But it's definitely a very very big news story because the, it's going to show if Conor McGregor is as big of a draw as the UFC makes him out to be in a setting of this magnitude. We'll see what happens, but we definitely are not going to hear anything for the next couple of weeks, obviously because Conor McGregor is currently filming The Ultimate Fighter with Uriah Faber. But as always, I'm sure we'll hear something later on in August or early September, and if that's the case, I will definitely be ordering that because I'm curious to see what type of a turnout will happen for such a great marquee matchup. All right, so... That is going to wrap up the MMA news for this week. Uh, Like I said, things were a little quiet. Uh, Most likely in August, we're going to start probably doing MMA only twice a month after big cards or if there's a very, very busy week. I only say this because, you know, the sport itself is in a very, very interesting stage where there's not newsworthy stuff happening on a consistent basis versus what's been going on in the world of wrestling. Nonetheless, we're going to probably start implementing that in August as a trial period to see how it pans out. And if it works, we'll continue with it. If not, then obviously we'll continue with the two segments the way they have been for the last 303 episodes. All right. So with that said, let us switch gears and jump into some wrestling. Shall we? Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker. Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you, nigga. Man, oh man, with what's been going on in the world of wrestling, it is a crazy, crazy, crazy time between NXT and its really, really insane, insane growth. And I'm talking about uh, right now, we got NXT the day before SummerSlam here in New York City. Tickets are almost sold out, going head-to-head with Ring of Honor. Jushin Thunder Liger is going to be there. NXT is making itself a viable, viable brand giving us an incredible amount of stars 
at a record pace. It's it's a great time to be a wrestling fan, not only because of NXT and the WWE Network, but because we are being afforded so many outlets for professional wrestling. Aside from the independents, we're also getting Ring of Honor, TNA Impact, Lucha Underground, New Japan Pro Wrestling, which we're going to be seeing a lot more of. We'll discuss that later on. And, you know, it's just, like I said, and plus, of course, like I said before, all the independents, all the great local independent promotions are out there killing it. And um, I'm pumped, man. I'm really, really pumped as a fan because of that. So with that said, uh, the name of the game is, of course, WWE Battleground, which I want to start with that first. And the reason is because when you look at the Battleground event, and I said this before, Going into it, the Battleground event had all the makings of what I like to call the the filler pay-per-views. I, I, I hate to say it, but it's a fact. It is the, uh, the filler pay-per-view uh, before SummerSlam. Now, did, it, did, that, did that happen? Did it live up to that? I don't think it did. On the contrary, I think that it was a solid event. We did bring it up to uh, those of you in the Facebook group. If you haven't checked it out, uh, look for RageWorks on Facebook. We have the link on the fan page, and you guys can check it out. But what we did was, after Battleground, we asked uh, the RageWorks and MTR fans what they thought of Battleground. And what I did was, I created um, a poll with a couple of different options, and I wanted to see what the fans thought. Now, of course, it's easy to say, yeah, it sucked, yeah, it was all right, et cetera, et cetera. But what ended up happening was when you looked at it, it was it was very, very, I don't want to say it was an expected reaction, but it was about as good as you can expect from our audience. I asked, you know, what did you guys think of Battleground? And the choices I gave was there was a pay-per-view today, meh, it was awesome, and garbage. So pretty much it was split between there was a pay-per-view today, and meh versus it was awesome and it was garbage. Uh, sh- not not shocked about it only because some people just don't give a shit about the ancillary pay-per-views. For those that thought that it was meh, I can I can definitely relate because like I said, there were there were instances where I felt that the pay-per-view was lacking. But as I always say, we're not going to recap the matches. We are go- going to focus on the rights and wrongs. So. R-Truth and King Barrett definitely was just a fucking terrible match. Uh, I'm tired of this feud between both guys. It's done nothing for either one of them. On the contrary, it hurts both guys. King Barrett, because this is a guy who's on the precipice of main event status, and R-Truth, who again has to be relegated to being a comedy act, which uh, considering both the wrestling acumen of both guys and the incredible entertainment value that both bring to the table for different reasons, the this feud over who can be called king is just fucking stupid. Plain and simple. Stupid. But that match wasn't as boring as Randy Orton and Sheamus's match. And the reason I say this is because here you have two guys that are both good workers when they're motivated, in Randy Orton's case, and are just in a state of of just treading water. Sheamus won the Money in the Bank briefcase, loses on the regular. 
Randy Orton, he's a heel, he's a face, he's a heel again, he's a face. Nobody fucking knows. And the thing that bothers me with a guy like Randy Orton is that he can go out there and have solid matches with certain opponents. It has happened. The only issue has always been the fact that he's just incredibly robotic. And that's the issue. The RKO is a great finisher, and when it's applied to the right person and sold the right way, it adds a lot of of gravity to, to his superstar status. These are the facts. But also, Randy Orton, if he's not in a program with a guy that can really motivate him to either have a good match or deliver good mic work, he's pretty academic. He's pretty paint-by-numbers. I know some people will disagree with that, but... Think about the last few matches that you've seen Orton involved in that weren't against name opponents. I mean, the last time I felt that Orton was 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 being challenged and feeling motivated as an opponent was when he took on Rollins at WrestleMania. Because when he did that, you saw that there was there was energy, there was gravity. You know, you can feel what was going on. And that's, you know, I was really, really excited about that because I said, hey, you know, maybe these younger guys are going to continue to bring the best out of Randy Orton. I would have thought, you know, you could put Orton in a program with Kevin Owens or maybe put him in a program with with Neville or one of these other guys on the on the up and coming side of things. Putting him in there with, you know, Kane, Sheamus, you know, it's it's not doing him any favors because he's not he's not stepping outside of his comfort zone. He's not being tested. Putting him in a match with the Big Show or fucking Kane, it's just not the move. It's not going to help anybody. And Sheamus is in that same boat. You had the guy win money in the bank. He he's you know he's hit or miss every week. Sometimes he wins, sometimes he loses. But at the end of the day, nobody cares because no one's invested in his character. They've done nothing to make you want to become invested, which is crazy. Nothing whatsoever. Zero donut. On the tag team side of things, of course, the primetime players squared off against the New Day, and. Um, it was, it was a good match. It was pretty much a match that we've seen on the regular shenanigans from the New Day. Uh, Darren Young playing the face in peril. Titus O'Neil with the big power move spots. And that is pretty much it. That's pretty much what this feud has become over the last couple of weeks. And it's unfortunate because, bo- because both teams have great mic presence. But they're relegated to some very, very basic cookie-cutter promos. Now... In the case of the primetime players, what do you do? Now that they've beat the New Day twice, what do you do? Who do you move up? The Matadors? The Ascension? Maybe maybe the new duo of, of, of Wyatt, which we'll discuss in a few minutes. Maybe it's those guys. At the end of the day, the tag team division, even though there's a resurgence in the diva side of things, the tag team division still needs work. The injury to Tyson Kidd, the injury to Eric Rowan were definitely big factors in that, but there are still viable tag teams out there. They, they're definitely still viable tag teams out there that you really should be doing more with. I mean, the Lucha Dragons definitely should be getting more TV time. They sell a lot of merchandise, and they're just very, very fan-friendly. I mean, the primetime players are always going to be who they are, but you need some more established and more credible opponents than the same three teams. Because what's happening is the tag team division is turning into the Divas division where every Monday you would see 
the same matches with the same five opponents. It's it's pretty much what's happening with the tag team ranks as well because they just don't have any new blood in there that can really, really add some sort of vi- value to the, to the division as a whole. It, it is unfortunate. The match, like I said, it was, it was entertaining for what it was, but it, it wasn't setting the world on fire because it was, it was just okay. That's, that's pretty much it. It was just okay. Anyway, Roman Reigns took on Bray Wyatt, and while the match itself was pretty solid, what, what really got me in this match is that WWE has finally figured out a way to market Roman Reigns and make people actually give a shit about him. Meaning that you're taking the guy, you're putting him in all these programs, you're involving Dean Ambrose, and you're letting, it wor- you're letting the magic work itself at its own pace. You're not shoving him down everyone's throat. You're not trying to get him out there at the, at the forefront of every major feud. You're doing the subtle simmer, the slow burn. And I think that's what needed to be done with Roman Reigns in the first place. Instead of the, you know, uh, strapping the rocket to his ass and, and shooting him up to the top of the mountain, you needed to allow him to ascend gradually. The crowd is going to get into it. The crowd is going to dig him. And on top of that, he needs to continue working with very, very solid opponents because it would allow him to step up his game both in the ring and on the microphone. And I think Bray Wyatt did a good job of that. He brought out a lot of energy. He, you know, he made Roman Reigns work, become more emotional, become more passionate in, in, in their exchanges. And it showed. I mean, the match itself was about 20 minutes. And I enjoyed the match from start to finish. I mean, the ending was 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 good, obviously because you know the unknown assailant turned out to be Luke Harper, which with the injury to Eric Rowan has just been floating in limbo. And I've said this before: Luke Harper is an incredible worker, so him not being on TV is a travesty. But the real question is, what now? Obviously, we're probably going to get the inevitable tag team match at SummerSlam between the Shield, you know. Uh, Ambrose and Reigns against the Wyatt family, in this case, um, Luke Harper and Bray Wyatt, which is fine. And I think that it would be a good way to transition Harper and Wyatt into the tag team division and maybe have them get the tag team titles. I think it works. You could have a lot of fun with that. Uh, The promo work itself would be ridiculous just because you have Bray Wyatt just not giving a shit about the belts, throwing them in the garbage, whatever. But just just holding them hostage, essentially. And I think doing that is great for the division. Now, this could just be a one-off, you know, two-on-two match. But who knows? I mean, if they were smart, they would take Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns and make them a tag team for the foreseeable future. Just because you're not doing anything with Dean Ambrose of substance anyway, and you're not doing anything of substance with Bray Wyatt outside of this feud with Reigns. So why not add them into the tag ra- into the tag ranks and allow them to bolster, you know, boost up that division? Because John Cena becoming U.S. champion, yes, you know the the U.S. Open Challenge has been good, and the the wealth of opponents that Cena's had have been good. But think about it; it just makes the mid card relevant. And sure, you know, most times John Cena is going to retain, but every guy that's been in there with him has looked amazing, amazing. Zack Ryder, Adrian Neville, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens. You know, the list, Cesaro, of course, the list goes on. So you might as well take the guys that are decent hands already 
and have them build up the division that needs all the help they can get. Unless you're bringing in, you know, Team 3D or, you know, the Dudley Boys or you're calling up some tag teams from NXT, maybe the Vaude Villains, you definitely have a glaring, glaring, glaring deficiency of valid tag teams. So, again, we'll see what happens and how this feud between Reigns and Bray Wyatt translates into, you know, a SummerSlam match and after SummerSlam what they do with the duos of both guys. But like I said, I would definitely, I wouldn't mind giving Roman Reigns a run at the tag team titles with Dean Ambrose. I think it would be good for both guys. Uh, Keep them out there. And on top of that, like I said, boost the tag team division. Now, the Divas triple threat match was Sasha Banks taking on Charlotte, taking on Brie Bella. Now, obviously, you got two wrestlers and a diva. That's let, Let's be realistic. I say this because you're going to get real wrestling, and then you're going to get WWE hair pulling. And unfortunately, that's that's sometimes the case when the Bellas are involved. Now, Sasha Banks and Charlotte actually had a very, very good match and spent the bulk of the triple threat match essentially throwing Brie Bella out of the ring so that they could square off on their own. I think it was a nice touch. I think it was a good way to show that the NXT Divas are trying to, you know, give us real wrestling, real rivalries, and not the typical bullshit that we've seen. But the problem is that by doing that also, you are exposing the glaring weaknesses in the Bellas and Alicia Fox. Now, if you wanted to do something better, then you could take the Bellas, and the same way that the NXT Divas came to Raw, the Bellas should go down to NXT. And you can use it as their way of, you came into our house, we're going to go into yours, and have the Bellas go down there and work with some of the NXT Divas just to become better performers. And it's a very, very easy, easy way to pull it off. Like I said, oh, you guys want to invade our house, then we're going to invade yours. And then you can make it like they show up and it's like, ugh, NXT, this place is garbage. And just have them go out there and have matches, you know, have matches with Leva Bates, you know, Blue Pants or, um, you know, Alexa Bliss or Bailey or whoever. And, and do that and allow them to, under the guise that they're invading NXT, you allow them to work down there and become better. Because this is the, this is the byproduct of bringing up all these girls from NXT. They're all going to be great. But the ones that have been relegated to the WWE style of hair pulling and, and, you know, throwing themselves around with reckless abandon, Alicia Fox, we're looking at you, you're going to see the glaring, glaring, glaring issues right away. You're going to see them. They're just going to stick out immediately because of the fact that the, late, the divas in NXT are, are so solid in the ring and the Bellas and the other divas are not. So, overall, I was entertained by the match. Um, Of course, Brie Bella ate the submission loss to Charlotte via the figure eight. We knew that was going to happen, and of course, that continued into Raw, which we'll get into momentarily. As for the United States Championship match with um, Cena and Kevin Owens, it's funny because I saw a lot of people on, on Twitter talking about that this match was being worked in an indie style, which was essentially spot fest back and forth and people kicking out of each other's finishers. And here's the thing that got me. 
if John Cena goes out there and has the typical five moves of doom, people complain. If John Cena goes out there and tries to do new moves, people complain. If John Cena goes out there and has a five-star match with Antonio Cesaro, but Cesaro loses, people complain. You can't win. Here's, here's where I stand. Kevin Owens comes from, you know, the independence from Ring of Honor. He knows how to work that style. But in the same instance, him and John Cena are going to try and go out there and give us the best match possible. And in doing so, they're going to need to work elements of the indie style. It's not like the old days where fans only watch WWE, WWF programming. There's a wealth of wrestling out there, courtesy of all these different networks and YouTube. So you got to show fans different things, things they've never seen before. You got to have the high drama. You have to have, uh, you know, the kicking out of finishers. You need that. You can't have 25 minutes of chin locks, headlocks, and, and bullshit. You need to have the, the high spots, those moments where, you know, you, you're, you're on the edge of your seat. Like, holy shit, that was a great exchange. And that's what we got in this match. I mean, it definitely wasn't as good as their first match and even their second match, but it was definitely solid. But the biggest elephant in the room, the glaring problem with this match was the fact that Kevin Owens tapped out. You know? It was it was a classic match with a fucking terrible finish. And the reason I say this is because we are in the business of making stars, of creating household names. This is the moment where you take a guy like Kevin Owens and you make him a household name like that. Household name. Make him a household name. Drop the U.S. title. Make him run with it. Have him work a program with Rusev. Have him work a program with Cesaro. He has a wealth of opponents to work with. Instead, what we're getting is him losing. And it was it was it was absurd. It was it was stupid. It was stupid. Slick says they built them up like a bitch, though. The tap out made sense to me. I I disagree. The reason I disagree is because we are in the business of creating stars. If you're going to bring the guy up from NXT, then at least make him one of the guys to succeed. Cena can always win the belt in a rematch, or Cena can always be transitioned into the feud with Seth Rollins, which is what they're doing anyway. But if you went through the trouble of making this guy a credible threat, having him lose that way, just it hurt his character. It hurt him. He could have lost via disqualification. He could have lost any other way, you know. Slick says, making stars, yes, but he backs down from Cesaro on Raw and only really attacks from behind. Yeah, because those are heel tactics. But I'm talking about making another heel. Think about it. When you watch, when you watch Raw on Monday nights, you're not seeing bona fide heels at work. You're seeing Seth Rollins, maybe Brock Lesnar, and then everyone else that you can mix and match. You need to create the guys that are going to carry your company for the future. Tired of saying it. John Cena is as good as can be, but eventually he will get old. Injuries will affect him. And then and then what? This goes back to what I said about Dana White in the UFC. You're putting your eggs in one basket. And people have said that par- it's partially Vince... 
you know, Vince doesn't feel that Kevin Owens is, is the right guy and people are talking about Kevin Dunn and all this different shit, whatever the case may be, um, the way I see it is you have NXT. You go through the trouble of building up this brand of elite superstars. Call them rookies. Call them whatever you want, but they are elite-level superstars. And when you're bringing these guys up from NXT to the main roster, there is an expectation that they will do well. They will succeed. They will be the torchbearers of the future. It happened with the Shield. It happened with the Wyatts. When those guys burst on the scene, they made a legitimate impact, and they were the focal point for months and months and months on end. Fact. So you bring up Adrian Neville. Oh, the, the, you know, the new sensation, the high-flying Adrian Neville. Great. You use him in a couple of matches. Where's Adrian Neville now? Who the fuck knows? Yeah, I mean, he has, he's feuding. He's quasi-feuding with Stardust, but what else is he doing? Not to take anything away from Stardust because he's a great performer and, and a great character, but Adrian Neville, a guy who was NXT champion, a guy who you can market because he has that underdog mentality, he has that underdog look, and he looks the part, nothing. Why go, why go through the trouble? Why make Kevin Owens have matches with Rusev and Cesaro and look amazing and then just have him lose via tap out? It just, it just it doesn't work for me. And then on top of that, it's like he lost via tap out. Is he getting a rematch? No, probably not because John Cena just moved. They moved John Cena on to the next feud. And yes, Kevin Owens is going to challenge Finn Balor for the belt and it's going to be an amazing match. But you went to all this trouble to build this guy. You went through to, to great lengths to build this guy as, as the guy. And all of that was gone like this. And again, I'm not blaming John Cena because John Cena had an incredible match with Kevin Owens every time they went out there. You can't blame John Cena. And for everybody that gets pissed off that Cena won, John Cena doesn't write the fucking stories. The guy goes out there and does his job. Hey, you're going to go out there and you're going to put Kevin Owens over. Okay, Kevin, you're going to lose via submission. Fuck. That's how it goes. Like, Triple H is a big Kevin Owens supporter, but Vince probably just... You, Vince has final say, and creative has final say based on Vince's directive. That's it. And I know people jumped on social media, and they're like, yo, fucking John Cena, they fucking buried Kevin Owens. If you... Again, that word, I don't think it means what you think it means, you know, like Little Princess Bride. The fact is, buried is taking a guy and just... Just shitting on him week in and week out. Zack Ryder, we're looking at you. But but what I'm saying is, Kevin Owens was was on a tear. Everybody was excited for this match. The crowd was into it. They were they were hungry. They were aggressive. It was it was tremendous. And to just suck the wind out of their sails with that tap out victory, it just blew my mind, especially because they were such closely contested matches. For it to end that way was just it really, really bothered me. Again, an amazing match. 20-plus minutes of great wrestling. If You can call it a spot fest if you want, but it was solid. 
The only thing that I feel is that you should have used all the different moves and not abused the finishers because the finishers are, you know, they're losing their value. Finishers are losing their value if, if you're using 17 of them in a match. That I got to agree with. But overall, the match itself was tremendous. And it was, it was a, a, you know, a solid match to close out a series. But I just felt that Kevin Owens losing via submission really just, it just you know, it, it took a guy that had all the momentum and just sucked it right out from, right out from under him. You know, it was, it was definitely heartbreaking to see. And after that amazing match, it was, you know, it was definitely a bummer. Now, let's switch gears. Rollins and Brock Lesnar um, pretty much was as expected. Brock Lesnar working working the suplexes. Rollins working the uh, big man versus little man a bit. Uh, definitely a, a decent match for what it was. Of course, the big news out of that was the return of The Undertaker, who pretty much killed Brock Lesnar dead. Um, trying to do the tombstone pile driver. It, um, uh, here's the thing. The undertaker, there was plenty of pictures on social media that all oh, the undertakers going to the gym, the undertakers getting ready and everybody figured, eh, he'll come back at SummerSlam, maybe a match with sting. Nobody, including yours truly did not think for a million years that the undertaker would come back at battleground. I figured SummerSlam. Not Battleground, but still, coming back at Battleground obviously sets up the inevitable match for SummerSlam, which we'll discuss in a moment when I jump into Raw. Uh, but is at this point, it's like my 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 boss, you know, he has two sons, and um, the funny thing was his youngest son is a is a hardcore wrestling fan, and when and you know he likes Brock Lesnar. And the little boy says, said to my, to my boss, and my boss told me the story. He said, you know what, Dad? It, it, I don't like that The Undertaker came back because The Undertaker lost fair and square. So he didn't get cheated. He didn't get robbed. There wasn't a disqualification or any underhanded stuff. He lost fair and square. So for him to come back and cause Brock Lesnar the match, it seems like, like something a bad guy would do. And it was funny because, you know, I appreciate... And I, and I, you know, I like children. I appreciate the innocence of children. Um, you know, raising my two sisters has made me very, very sensitive to that. So hearing, hearing such, a, such a young kid say that, it made me think. And I'm like, you know what? That's crazy because if you think about it, it's true. Because The Undertaker lost to Brock Lesnar clean. No interference. No involvement from outside parties. It was pretty much a mauling and he lost. So while I understand that he, wa- he wants to get his revenge, and that's great, which, of course, he elaborated on Monday, at a glance, you look at it and you're like, but you lost. Clean. That's, you know, I didn't look at it that way. I just looked at it like, oh, I guess they decided to pull the trigger a month early to get people invested in SummerSlam. But it is what it is. Overall, uh, WWE Battleground was a decent pay-per-view. Had its high points, had its low points, and its and its kind of mid grade points. It was it was a successful pay per view for what it was, and this is one of those pay per views that I that I'm going to use what I've said before. If you would have paid sixty dollars for that pay per view, and you would have been upset, then you would have been upset. But you paid ten bucks, 
period. You paid the equivalent of an eye pay-per-view or less than an eye pay-per-view. For what? For for a three-hour Raw with higher stakes. That's it. Like, that pay-per-view embodies what a $10 pay-per-view is. Not good, not bad, middle of the road. Simple as that. Anyway, let's shift gears. Let's jump into Raw, which um, Raw, Raw was... Raw was tremendously well executed, which is weird because sometimes, you know, the post-pay-per-view Raws are hit and miss. It's either really bad or really good. But holy shit, this this Raw was was quite good. I actually had written up a WMD column for this Raw. But between our coverage of the event yesterday and trying to get ready for, for all this other stuff that we got going on, I um, I didn't publish it. So it doesn't make any sense to publish it today, uh, Friday for something that happened Monday. So we'll definitely uh, resume the WMD column next week. But anyway, uh, Raw Raw was was really well done. I mean, The Undertaker coming back, cutting a nice, ominous promo. Um, the the rationale that they used for, for his return, um, while, while, while viable and interesting, it was, you know, it served its purpose. He was like, hey, I'm tired of you talking shit that you beat me. Tired of it. Tired of it, tired of it, week after week. You know, you, you you just kept shitting on me, and I've had enough, and I'm going to whoop your ass. I mean, viable excuse, viable story. It was it was good. I mean, I liked the way that I liked the way it went. The Undertaker looked motivated. He looked hungry. He had good emotion. It was solid. I'm sure he's going to keep working on his conditioning and everything else. He's going to probably look substantially better come SummerSlam, but. The 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 promo served its purpose. It was it was solid. You know, I I didn't hate it. I thought it was good. Um, the Brie Bella, uh, you know, the Brie, the Bella the Bella family feud with uh, the NXT Divas. It was again. We got a pretty much uh, a rerun of last night's match with Brie Bella, Charlotte, and uh, you know, with Brie Bella and Charlotte taking center stage in this match and. It was it was a serviceable match. I think um, Charlotte definitely carried her and carried the weight of the match. But again, it was one of those instances where Brie Bella is not good, but her opponent worked twice as hard to make her look better. I mean, it was again a solid performance from Charlotte. Brie Bella was serviceable in the role that she was in, but you're gonna keep seeing those just those glaringly obvious differences between the divas on the main roster and the divas from NXT and this match while it did it did shine the spotlight on it a little bit it becomes more apparent um in in the other divas match cuz we did get two divas matches in one night oh change is a coming folks anyway so primetime players took on los matador los matadores los matadores uh, the 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 matatodes uh, the Puerto Ricans that are dressed as bullfighters, whatever you want to call them, uh, just angle advancement central. Um, they were interrupted in the match by, of course, the New Day and Los Matadores, Los Matadores, however you want to call it, ended up getting the pinfall anyway. Uh, quite amusing, uh, quite funny, but now what? Like I said before, the primetime players have no challengers unless, obviously, you push the Matadors up. But then what? Uh, Just like I said, a very, very uh, unfortunate time for the tag team division. Simple as that. 
mystic on the big show and was which was essentially me taking a break and bringing up food from downstairs and sure enough the match was about two minutes a minute and a half i came back upstairs and the miz was dead and um yeah you know miz cuts a promo and the miz was injured so you know we'll see we'll see if some people say he was selling other people say he was legit injured we'll see what happens in the coming weeks anyway so Paul Heyman came out, cut an awesome fucking promo. Awesome promo. Tremendous. You know, he you, you may have sold your soul to the devil, but your ass belongs to Brock Lesnar. Tremendous. Tremendous promo work from Paul Heyman. Masterful promo work. Of course, The Undertaker shows up. Paul Heyman shits his pants yelling, I have a family. I have a family. It was great. Paul Heyman, as usual, just adding that extra... That extra oomph, that extra punch to to a feud with Brock Lesnar, and you know the Undertaker and, and and Brock Lesnar. Of course, Lesnar came out to save his advocate. Those guys they squared off. The entire locker room came out. It was a huge pull apart brawl. Brock Lesnar yelling, "I'm gonna kill you," and the Undertaker telling him, "You're gonna have to." It was it was very 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 well done. But the thing is. You can't have these guys do that every week. Like, you got to use that, and then you got to kind of keep The Undertaker off TV for a little bit, and then maybe closer to SummerSlam. I mean, it's in five weeks. So maybe by week three, you kind of start teasing his return, et cetera, et cetera. Just, you know, the the brawl and what they did with it was tremendous. Um, again, very, very well executed. I liked what they did. Um, is Is the match going to be good? I don't know. I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy, the Undertaker's, you know, hampered with injuries, an older guy now. You're not going to get that same, you know, you're not, you're not going to get a, a, a classic, but you're definitely going to get something violent. That's for sure. But the pull-apart brawl to set it up served its purpose. Luke Harper and, and of course, with Bray Wyatt squared off against Roman Reigns, who had Dean Ambrose with him, and um, solid match, which, of course, is going to end in some sort of shenanigans, which it did. And I really, I really enjoyed the way it was paced. Obviously, this is setting up the inevitable collision course between the Shield and the Wyatt family at SummerSlam. Because let's not kid ourselves, that's what it is. And um, I'm all for it. Like I said, you're not doing anything of substance with either guy, so fuck it. Let him have it. Our boy Seth Rollins came out, cut himself a, a nice promo. Uh, of course, John Cena talking shit. Uh, this is obviously leading to the inevitable collision course between the champ and the future of the WWE. Now, a couple of things I got to look at here. A, is John Cena challenging for the belt or is it a title versus title match? That's A. B, are they going to have John Cena take the title off of Rollins? If so, what happens to Rollins? Rollins, is, is his sole existence has been built on being the future and the face of the company. So, by taking the belt off of him now, is he is he going to be in the main event? What is going to happen? Because if you put the belt back on Cena, what are you going to do? Have Kevin Owens challenge him for the world heavyweight title? I fucking doubt it. The way I see it is, if you're going to go that route, then Rollins definitely needs to continue carrying the belt for the foreseeable future. I think that the only way that Rollins is going to validate this this entire snivelly heel, underhanded douchebag that he is, 
is by retaining the championship in every outing, meaning that every time you look at him, he's going to overcome impossible odds, whether it's the clean pinfall, the DQ pinfall, whatever the case may be. You need to do that because it works for Rollins' character. Putting the belt back on Cena for the sake of putting the belt back on Cena is exactly what pissed fans off in the first place. So, what you got to end up you what you have to end up doing is a either Rollins has to go over or b you the issue with Cena and Owens continues and affects that match. That's 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 really the two options that work in this instance. Definitely not putting the belt on Cena. Don't do it. Don't. He's great for the U.S. title. He's great for the mid-card. Don't make him be a main eventer again. Not right now. Continue to use him to build up that mid-card and then possibly transition him into the main event at some point, but don't do it right now. Don't do it. I understand that there's a vacuum in the main event side of things because you don't have main eventers, but whose fault is that? Creative and WWE's for not investing in the guys that they got there to create main eventers. You know, Wade Barrett, main eventer. Dolph Ziggler, main eventer. Those are guys that could be up there fighting for the title. Rollins and Ziggler for the belt definitely would get people interested, and it would be a great match. But they don't believe in him. Hell, Rusev, I think, is at a point where you could probably bump him up to the to the to the upper card and he'd succeed in in getting over and being a great villain. But your your mid card is so is so chock full of talent that you're scared to move anyone up. And that's really it. Creative is scared. They're scared. They don't want to take any risks. They're going with the sure thing. And that sure thing wears jorts, brightly colored t-shirts and a baseball cap. That's it. He is the sure thing. And it's not his fault. You know, the company created this enigma, this superstar, and they just, they, again, you got to go back to what's comfortable. It's crazy, but that's what people do. You, you revert back to what's comfortable, old habits, instead of taking risks and building up guys that are pretty fucking good. That's it. Anyway, our second Divas match of the night was Paige and Becky Lynch taking on Naomi and Sasha Banks. Uh, definitely a great match. And again, you got to see why the NXT Divas are truly on a different level. Uh, Naomi Naomi needs a little seasoning, needs a little work. But we got to see more of Naomi in this match in the sense that she actually put in some work. Like we were starting to see some really, really good offense. Really, really good wrestling. And it showed. I mean, even Paige, we got to see some of what made Paige solid a solid worker when she came up again this is part of the the you know the nxt revolution that's coming to wwe it's great but now that we've seen these girls mix it up on a couple of occasions you have to try and do something else to keep it fresh because again it's going to become the same three divas wrestling every week like obviously Paige and becky lynch took on charlotte and and i mean uh Paige, becky lynch and charlotte are are inevitably going to feud with Naomi, Sasha Banks, and Tamina, but there should be more to that. It shouldn't just be little factions of divas. The end game is somebody being divas champion. And while there are alliances and allegiances, it should never be lost on any one of the three teams that the main goal is to be divas champion, period. 
That's what it boils down to, and that's something that people need to be aware of. Unfortunately, that is not always the case. You know, simple as that. It's really not. But what can you do? Anyway, so the main event for the for tonight was uh, for Monday night was Cena, Orton, and Cesaro, who is working as a face, could have could have fooled any of us. But hey, what can you do? Uh, taking on Kevin Owens, Rusev, and Sheamus. A lot of good things in this match. A lot of great chemistry and a great finish with the um, the slingshot from Cesaro into the RKO. Uh, definitely a solid finish. Some really, really good moves there, including um, you know Randy Orton with an exploder suplex, which I hadn't even seen in ages. But great chemistry. The end came with both guys leaving Rusev in there to get his ass kicked. But that opens up a couple of things, too, because... Obviously, Rusev can go, he can feud with Sheamus, he can feud with um, Kevin Owens, it works, but again, the two guys that can possibly feud with Rusev are both heels and both need to work on being in the main event, but it was definitely good storytelling and really, really solid wrestling work from everybody. I I really enjoyed the match, I thought there was a lot of good in it, and... um, Again, what you do with Kevin Owens from here on out, we can only hope is better than how he's been treated thus far. We'll see what happens. Um, let's jump into the wrestling news of the week because there are quite a few to discuss, and then we can wrap things up. Anyway, uh, let me see. Oh, it looks like our video feed is frozen. Of course it is. All right, so it looks like our video feed took a dump. So um, that's not good for a couple of reasons. Obviously, uh, we're going to have to resume our video feed. And um, that's that fucking sucks. I think we're going to have to retire this program that we're using for streaming and um, go back to something else. Let me restart the video feed. That's obviously going to fuck it up for those of you that are on YouTube. But um, what can you do? Hold on a moment, guys, while I uh, get that video feed back up and running. Bear with us. All right. There we go. We got the video feed back up. And uh, let's get that stream running. All right. We got video back up. Let me just make sure you guys that are watching the video stream got it up and running. There it is. Okay. So, as I said, we wrapped up... uh, our raw discussion for the evening. Just want to get into the other wrestling news and wrap up the show. Uh, first up, it was uh, it was a rough week for TNA this week for a couple of reasons. A lot of their superstars have been leaving, uh, many of them heading to Jeff Jarrett's Global Force Wrestling. But a recently announced departure really threw me for a loop, and that was the departure of MVP. And it was tied into a de- the departure of Hernandez. Now, what ended up happening was, if you guys have been watching TNA Impact, you'll know that Hernandez ended up joining the BDC and um, obviously replacing Homicide, who's injured, and, you know, giving the stable a little bit more muscle. Now, as it turns out, TNA thought that they had Hernandez, uh, you know, free and clear, but as it turns out, they ended up getting a cease and desist from Lucha Underground, stating that Hernandez was still under contract to them. Uh, PW Insider reports that Hernandez was signed after a strong and uh, strong endorsement from MVP. 
And um, Hernandez stated that he was free and clear of any contractual obligations with any other promotion and that he was released from Lucha Underground, straight from Hernandez. TNA included a clause in Hernandez's contract that included Hernandez was presenting himself as a free agent. Because of that, they taped several weeks of TV, including all the stuff with the BDC, and um, everybody, everything was on the up and up. Now, according to what PW Insider reports, um, Hernandez requested his release from Lucha Underground but did not actually receive one. Hernandez was told that if he wishes to receive his release and get out of filming new seasons, that it could be done, but that he would have to agree not to work on someone else's TV until after August 5th. Of course, that's the finale for Lucha Underground. Lucha Underground allegedly told him that if he agreed to that and a no-compete, that he would be granted a full release. Lucha Underground reportedly told him that if he um, has no issues with Hernandez finding regular work and even told him that he would be welcome back if he followed their requests, once he appeared on Impact while Lucha Underground was still airing their first season, it was it was pretty much open season at that point, and that's what actually happened. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Lucha Underground they give it on um, Uno Mas, which is the uh, the Spanish channel, and they give those episodes on Saturday. So uh, last week, I in the, was it last week or the week prior when Hernandez appeared on Impact, I was like, oh shit, it's Hernandez. All right, he's part of Bullet Club, and then I watched Lucha Underground. I'm like, oh shit, Hernandez is still there, and that was gonna I knew it was gonna cause a problem. I mean, Lucha Underground is taped, Impact is taped a couple of episodes in advance, and I understand that, but what you don't want is the guy that's supposed to be on one on one promotion showing up at another promotion. You don't want that, so I can understand where the frustration comes from. Now, what they're saying is that, and, and this is the crazy thing, TNA allegedly offered to pay Lucha Underground for the rights to use Hernandez, the Hernandez material, that was already filmed. Lucha Underground, of course, denies that any offer was made. So, of course, just a huge, huge impasse. Um, you know, it was it was it was just crazy. Now, PW Insider reported also that TNA sources stated that Hernandez had told him he had a verbal release and provided proof that there was communication between himself and Lucha Underground and that the release was in the works. TNA allegedly told Hernandez that if he wanted to try and fight Lucha Underground in court that they would be happy to use his footage and gave him a deadline to file something in court in California against Lucha Underground that could possibly provide a temporary restraining order regarding his contract and allow him to appear on TNA TV. Turns out Hernandez did not file anything, and TNA then made the decision to release him and remove him from TV. Of course, they're going to fill all the clips from you know with new material that they will film next week. Now... What this, what this ended up causing was a huge chain reaction. Uh, first piece of the, of, of the puzzle was the fact that obviously all the footage that was taped is no good. Can't do anything with the BDC, with any of the BDC footage because Hernandez is in it. That's problem number one. As a result of that, MVP asked for his release from TNA and he got it. So essentially, Hernandez is gone. MVP is gone, and the BDC is no more. What this means for Loki and Kenny King, who knows? But all the work that you put into the Bullet Club, fac- I mean Bullet Club, the, the Beatdown Clan faction, 
is essentially out the fucking window. All of it is out the window because of miscommunications between wrestlers and the promotions they work for and the promotions not trying to, to, to ensure that all the T's were crossed and all the, di- the I's were dotted. That's pretty much what it boils down to. It sucks because MVP was doing quite well in TNA. I thought Hernandez was doing really, really good in Lucha Underground, but alas, that is not the case. Like I said, TNA came out the loser in this entire in this entire chain of events because they lost the footage and they lost two superstars. Lucha Underground still has Hernandez's footage, still has him essentially signed, and their season finale isn't until August 5th, which I'm telling you guys right now, if you're not watching Lucha Underground, you definitely should because they got some great matches on deck. Um, their, their season finale is a two-parter, which is Ultima Lucha, which is kind of their WrestleMania. Um, the first part is this week. Uh, no, correction. Next week, July 29th. And then the week after, August 5th, is the other part. So here are the matches for Ultima Lucha. Um, you got the Falls Count Anywhere match between the Mac and Cage, which um, is being announced next week, most likely. Obviously, they tape it in advance. Uh, Drago is taking on Hernandez, which I believe is also being announced next week. Also, Blue Demon is taking on Tejano. Pentagon Jr. is taking on Vampiro. Um, Alberto Del Rio or Alberto El Patron is taking on Johnny Mundo. And then the Gift of the Gods match is going to be Big Rick, Aerostar, Bengala, King Cuerno, Sexy Star, Jack Evans, and Phoenix. And then the Lucha Underground Trios title match is going to see Ivelisse and the Son of Havoc, along with Angelico, take on the Disciples of Death. And, of course, the leader of the Disciples of Death, Mil Muertes, will be challenging Prince Puma for the Lucha Underground title. So Ultima Lucha is two days, uh, July 29th and August 5th. Definitely check it out. Like I said, um, Hernandez is facing Drago on that card, which clearly shows that there was an issue with Hernandez in the season finale of a show and then appearing on Impact. So I can definitely see that. All right. Seth Rollins finally uh, gave people an answer with regards to uh, the WWE's, you you know, uh, the changing of the curb stomp to the pedigree. He actually did an interview with the Buzz, and they asked him about no longer using the curb stomp, and he said that the move was considered too violent of a move based on the WWE audience, the younger kids, and that WWE was concerned that children would try and replicate that move to for and obviously it would lead to disastrous results. Now, we all know the disclaimer, kids don't try this at home, but we were all kids once, we all wrestled uh somebody's you know, at some point being a kid, you've tried to put somebody in a figure four or a sharpshooter or a choke slam or a power bomb. It's happened. We've all done it. And sure, it's probably within the confines of, you know, a pool or a bed or whatever the case may be. But I, I, I understand the concern. The curb stomp definitely is a uh, a move that if a kid did it on, an, on another kid with poor protection, there could be disastrous results. So I understand. And as much as it bums me out that he's no longer using it, I understand the reasoning behind it. And I'm sure that the use of the pedigree is going to be short-lived as well. Seth Rollins is a, uh, a a fairly inventive wrestler, so I'm sure he'll come up with a better move in the future. All right, so 
the other the other thing I wanted to talk about, uh, the last two things I should say to wrap things up. First off, uh, Access TV sent out a press release that they have signed a brand new multi-year agreement to air New Japan Pro Wrestling on Access TV, which is great. If you have Access TV and you've wanted to, wanted to experience Japanese wrestling, definitely give the uh, the New Japan Pro Wrestling show a shot. They've had great matches every week, every week. You're going to see guys like the Bullet Club, a couple of matches with Prince Devitt, a.k.a. Finn Balor. Um, you know, AJ Styles is there, Ricochet, uh, Tanahashi, just an incredible amount of performers are, are, are showcased in the New Japan programming. And, it's, you know, it's an hour show. They usually give it Friday nights on Access TV. Give it a shot. Like I said, they signed the New Year deal, which, um, you know, they're, they're adding 17 additional episodes to the current season for 2015, which means that you're going to get to see 42 episodes. Um, in any event, it's definitely great for um, Access TV and for New Japan Pro Wrestling, and it allows them to be seen by a U.S. audience. So definitely good news there. Uh, with regards to Lucha Underground's renewed deal, um, I don't have any dates yet for the for the season premiere, but from what I've heard, the um, all signs point to the second season happening possibly in October. Once I get an official date, I will definitely share that with you guys. Uh, the last bit of news I wanted to wrap wrap up with it revol- revolves around Tough Enough. If you guys have read Quark's Buried column with regards to Tough Enough, you'll know that Quark spoke very highly of Patrick Clark, who a lot of people felt was uh, probably one of the guys that was a shoe-in to either get a deal post-Tough Enough or even win the entire thing. And, of course, those hopes were dashed when he was eliminated this week. It's unfortunate because I felt that, that Patrick had a lot of passion and a lot of love for the wrestling business, but unfortunately, the filming and editing of Tough Enough and the way that it's being done is just not conducive to the guys that are really in this for the for the you know for the long run. Meaning that if you're trying to get a guy to be a professional wrestler and you're trying to get through it via Tough Enough, it's not it's not the show for you. Tough Enough is built on conflict and reality TV elements, and because of that, I kind of felt that a guy like Patrick was going to get lost in the shuffle. Because, you know, there's better stories that can be told from a reality show standpoint with, you know, with Tanner and Mata and ZZ that you just can't tell with Patrick aside from him being the guy that was incredibly cocky and talked a lot of shit towards everybody. Well, you know, obviously when he was eliminated, they said that it was just because he was he was extremely full of himself. And, you know, you're trying you're trying to do this. You're trying to become the next superstar it's you're going to use all the tools at your disposal, whether it's athleticism, athleticism and stage presence, athleticism and and mic work. And in his case, he just didn't have the right combination. But I have a feeling that given this guy's passion for the business, this isn't the last time that we've seen Patrick Clark. And I wouldn't be surprised if he goes, he hones his skills on the independence and still gets an opportunity in the WWE long after tough enough is over. All right, so with that, that is actually going to wrap up the show for this week. Uh, We lost most of the video since the feed did crash, but we're going to try and definitely add the remaining video footage in there. Um, Unfortunately, you know, it's, it's one of those things that happens, and, you know, it sucks. We apologize. But in any event, 
I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Aside from the video feed crashing, it looks like the the Steam uh, stream up feed ran quite well. So that is definitely a positive. In any case, let's get the hell out of here and wrap things up, shall we? You've just heard My Take Radio episode 303, which broadcasted live Thursday, July 23rd, 2015. You can find archived episodes of this show and any others at RageWorks.net. You can also find audio archives available on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Video archives of the show are posted on our two YouTube channels, MTR Behind the Mic and MT, I mean, excuse me, MTR Behind the Mic, um, My Take Radio TV on YouTube, and Official RageWorks. Speaking of MTR Behind the Mic, uh, check out our interview with The Real Brian from ProfitCast that is actually available now to the general public after being an app exclusive, along with some of our other content. Now, if you haven't picked up the My Take Radio app, it's $1.99, and you can get access to shows like MTR Behind the Mic, MTR Beyond the Mic, and any of our other shows um, in 96K stereo, and certain shows will be available exclusively on the app before they are released to the general public. Again, it's $1.99. You can pick it up for iTunes, uh, for iOS devices in iTunes, for Android devices in the Amazon Marketplace, and for Windows 8 and Windows Mobile in the Windows Store. So there is that. Last but not least, if you want to keep up with us on social media, you can find My Take Radio on Twitter as well as RageWorks. It is Rage underscore Works. And you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash My Take Radio if you want to become a fan of the show. If you want to keep up with everything RageWorks related plus My Take Radio, become a fan of RageWorks. It's facebook.com forward slash official RageWorks. Of course, you can also find us on Pinterest, Google Plus, and Instagram. If you're into all the pictures, you can follow me on there. It is RageWorks underscore Rich. All right, guys, we're going to see you guys next week. We're going to resume our regular broadcasting schedule. And then we're going to have another week off, which is the first week of August due to a vacation. And then we'll get back to the remaining broadcasting schedule for the month of August. But for now, join us next week for a brand new wrestling and MMA edition of My Take Radio at our normal time, date and time, um, Wednesday, July 29th at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We are out of here. Peace. Rich, bitch! Uh, uh. That's all, folks! <laughs>